The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Linda House, Executive Vice President of External Affairs for the Cancer Support Community, and I'm filling in today for Kim Tebaldo, the President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. The Wellness Community and Gildas Club have united to become the Cancer Support Community, one of the largest providers of cancer support in the United States and around the world. Our services are now offered at over 170 locations worldwide, online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org, and via a telephone helpline at 888-793-9355. And I will repeat those later for those of you who didn't have a pencil. Mental wellness is defined as a state of emotional and psychological well-being in which an individual is able to use his or her cognitive and emotional capabilities and meet the ordinary demands of everyday life. Unfortunately, caring for someone you love when they have cancer is no ordinary demand but can become a part of your everyday life. In honor of National Mental Wellness Month this January, we want to focus on improving the state of mental wellness in an often overlooked group of people who are a part of the cancer journey, and those people are the caregivers. Studies have shown that between 30 and 59% of the caregiver population suffers from depression because they often feel the same fears and uncertainty that patients do, but are also holding their own fears at bay as well. Here to talk with us today about some fears caregivers face and how caregivers can improve their mental wellness during this difficult time is Sarah Goldberger. Sarah is the Senior Director of Programs at the Cancer Support Community. She's responsible for the development of new programs and special projects and ensuring quality standards of program delivery across our affiliate network. Sarah has worked in the field of psychosocial oncology for the past 19 years, most recently the Director of Program Support at Gilda's Club Worldwide. Previously, she served as the Program Director of Gilda's Club Westchester for six years, and she began her social work career at Calvary Hospital, an acute care hospital for terminally ill cancer patients. She received her MSW from Columbia University in New York, where she was the Dean's Award Scholar in recognition of excellence in both academics and clinical social work in the field. And I just want to add that she is a recent, um, a recent award winner for a Heroes Award for her work with patients with myeloproliferative neoplasms. So welcome to the show, Sarah, and again, congratulations on your recent award. Thank you, Linda, and thank you for having me today. I'm really excited about this opportunity to talk with you and your listeners about um, some of the challenges, um, stresses, and um, the impact of being a caregiver has on uh, 
people whose loved ones have a diagnosis of cancer. Well, let's start off by telling everyone what it's really like to be a caregiver. And, um, you, you know, both for the caregiver and for the patient, there's a, there's a significant there's a significant process that goes through um, communication and worry and um, how to be there for each other. So could you let's start off by defining a caregiver? Um, we've, we, you know, we've seen it you know, defined as someone who provides physical, emotional, spiritual, logistics in those very sort of black and white ways. But tell us a little bit more about who is a caregiver and what is the role um, that's a great way to begin, Linda, and thank you for recognizing that um, there's more to caregiving than just the uh, physical care of um, patients. Um, very often, um, people think that if you're not providing physical care, you're not a caregiver, but whether you are living with someone or you're a coworker or a friend or a family member, um, you uh, can be involved in that circle of caring, so to speak, for someone who's been diagnosed with cancer. So, um, you know, again, throughout this conversation for the um, remainder of our time together, I do want to, and I probably will say it over and over, to remind people that it's not just um, the folks who are providing physical care. And, in fact, today um, many people who are living with cancer don't really need a lot of physical care the way um, people used to in the past when some of the treatment regimens were much um, more challenging to, um, to get through and, you know, advances in surgery of um, people recover quicker. So I just want to really underscore that point that um, w once someone is diagnosed with cancer, anybody who really cares about that person I would consider to be a caregiver. They're giving emotional care. They're giving um, spiritual care. They're giving financial care. Um, maybe even assisting with the physical care, including, you know, transportation to the doctor's offices, um, helping to provide, um, uh, administer medications and treatments and things like that. So it's really a much broader um, conceptualization of what the role of a caregiver is. Um, mm -hmm. And um, it just sort of to kick off our conversation today, no matter what your role and responsibilities um, as a caregiver, it takes a tremendous amount of patience, um, self-awareness, resilience, um, good communication, and I also believe a hefty dose of a good sense of humor um, to be able to uh, respond well to the role of being a caregiver. Well, I think it would also behoove us to just mention that um, the, the, the timeline of being a caregiver isn't just during that initial point of diagnosis and uh, acute care treatment. The, the definition of a caregiver and the effects of a caregiver, the effects a caregiver feels, may last over a period of years. Could you, could you just speak to that as well? Sure. Um, you're, you're absolutely right um, that it could um, extend, you know, for many, many years as people are living longer with cancer, as, you know, treatments are more complex, um, people can often find themselves in these roles for many, many years at a time. And, um, you know, I think for, for many people, um, it is that unpredictability of how long am I going to be doing this and also that sort of 
um, length of time, it's years and years. And so let's think of the example of a young adult who's just starting out their career who um, maybe the, the, you know, child living at home with a parent who's very involved in the care. And it can have um, consequences on um, relationships and on, in fact, on their career. That's a, an example of how, you know, that length of time can really impact um, a person's experience as a caregiver. So can you just talk about why uh, mental illness is considered to be an issue for caregivers? Or mental wellness, I'm sorry, mental wellness is considered to be an issue? Sure. Um, you mentioned earlier that there are studies that show that caregivers have a very high rate of depression, and actually I think you quoted 39 to 50%, and I've actually seen some recent studies that put it um, even higher than that. It, it's completely understandable. But it can be a very stressful, although it can also be a very rewarding um, role for people. Um, but our, we know that um, these folks are at high risk for all sorts of other psychological issues, um, such as anxiety, um, feelings of irritability, and, and also even um, physical changes, high blood pressure, headaches, sleep problems, problems, um, you know, eating. Um, and these are all pretty um, normal when someone you care about has cancer and you are in that role. Um, you know, and again, even if you are not um, physically present in the home uh, or having daily or regular contact, even just the worry um, can cause these kinds of, of, of challenges. Um, I think also in our society, so much attention is focused on the person with cancer um, and the, the caregivers often, you know, I hear all the time from them when we can get them to talk about their own um, feelings. And again, that's a challenge, um, and we'll talk about that more later, I suspect, um, that they're often wondering, you know, what about me? Everybody's asking how um, Joe's doing, but nobody's asking about me, or it's only really cursory. There's, you know, they're, they're, how are you? And the answer they want to hear is, I'm doing fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, again, we know that these, these folks are impacted emotionally. Um, their relationship with, with um, the person with cancer can be affected. Their relationship with other people can be affected. Um, and sleep problems, um, you know, some of the problems we mentioned earlier, and without um, um, really um, their own acknowledgement that this does take a toll on them, these are the kinds of consequences that can happen. Mm-hmm. Well, beyond the shock of a cancer diagnosis, and, you know, we know that, that it is quite a shock to both the patient and the caregiver, so, you know, m- maybe it is... When they receive that initial shock of the diagnosis and beyond, because it is, um, as as you're well aware, a cancer journey is you know filled with with, with highs and lows and, and twists and turns. How do caregivers cope with with going through that journey with a, a loved one? Um, so what I'm going to say it may sound sort of flippant and comical, um, but I, I think if we think about how people behave, um, you'll see where I'm headed here. But um, Surprisingly, um, generally what we see is that people behave like they always did, only more so when they're um, stressed, 
with um, the task of being a caregiver. So, for example, the people who are what I call the information seekers, the people who want to know everything, um, they will spend hours and hours online and, you know, questioning and looking for information. Um, the people who are problem solvers will get right to work solving the problem. Um, you know, they may not be able to solve the cancer problem, but the problem may be how is this person going to get to treatment, and they will be on it like, you know, I think the expression is white on rice, and that they're, that's their, how they're going to behave. Um, the people who are easily overwhelmed will feel even more overwhelmed. Um, the, um, the competent and the capable um, will become even more competent and capable. You know, we all know those people who are great in a crisis, and um, those people will handle it, um, you know, in much the same way. Um, doesn't mean they, too, don't need support, all of these people who seem to be handling it well. Um, it's just that what we can kind of predict is that people will handle things the way they usually do, maybe even more so. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so people with a tendency even to, towards depression or anxiety are going to be more depressed and more anxious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, and so, what do you hear as some of the most common fears or concerns from caregivers? Are there some uh, that rise to the top? We 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 could spend the hour, um, but um, they are obviously worried about the person with cancer, um, both in the short and long term. What's going to happen? Um, you know, they're, um, they're concerned about, you know, what's going to happen to my loved one. Um, they're concerned about, um, and even if they can't articulate these things, these are the things that we know people struggle with, um, feelings of being out of control, um, feelings of helplessness. Um, you know, I, 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 there's nothing I can do here to fix this situation. Um, feelings of isolation, that really they're alone in this and no, they don't really have anyone they can talk to because everyone, you know, as I said before, is so focused on the issues of the patient and, um, you know, they don't want to, if, if they express feelings uh, of helplessness or being overwhelmed, it, it can be read by them and others as I'm failing at being a caregiver. So I think these are some of the, the, the concerns that they face. I can't do this. Um, you know, I, I remember a, um, a situation where there was an elderly man uh, who was quite frail, who was being um, discharged from the hospital, so he really couldn't take care of himself, and he was being discharged to the care of his elderly, frail wife. And she was terrified, and, um, you know, the closer they got to... Um, the, the discharge from the hospital, the the, the more um, angry she became and the more barriers she threw up um, to why he couldn't come home. He was in pain. He was, you know, he wasn't ready to come home. But when we really sat with her and talked with her, what we helped her to realize was that she was terrified, rightly terrified, of being left alone to care for her husband, um, including his physical needs. And I think she weighed about 92 pounds. Wow. Uh, Well, thank you for that. And I'm going to just put us on pause because we do have to take a commercial break and we'll come right back to continue this conversation about caregiving uh, for or in in the oncology space. The show today is sponsored in part by Lilly Oncology along with ASI, Genentech, and Amgen. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We'll be right back with more after the break.
cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the health care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. My name is Linda House. I'm the Executive Vice President for External Affairs here at the Cancer Support Community. I'm standing in today for Kim Tebaldo, our President and CEO. And today I am joined by Sarah Goldberger, who is the Senior Program Director for our organization. And she is giving us really great information about mental wellness concerns and how those apply to caregivers of people who are living with cancer. And, you know, Sarah, before we went to the break, there was um, a story that you shared with us about um, a a lady and the effects of stress on her caregiving for her her husband. And um, I just wondered if you could elaborate a little bit more on that and how do caregivers make time to tend to their own state during um, what is a very hectic, challenging, and scary time. Yeah, so complicated, Linda, and so difficult. Um, You know, in our culture, we are sort of... um, um, used to um, messages like, you know, keep a stiff upper lip and just do it and kind of hang in there and all that kind of stuff. And that really doesn't work well for caregivers. Um, I think that the first thing that um, they need to be able to do is to acknowledge that this is a challenging situation and to accept that for themselves. Um, and um, then to be able to, to, to you know, kind of, uh, I have a whole sort of list of things that I would like people to be able to do, including, you know, know their limitations. I mean, clearly this, this elderly woman we were talking about knew her limitations. She knew that, you know, she loved her husband dearly but could not possibly provide the physical care that he needed, mm-hmm. um, and yet she still was having a very hard time admitting that, I think, to herself and then to others. Um, I think um, being able to ask for help and to receive help is essential. And, again, that's something in our culture that's so hard to do. Um, but I have a little trick um, that it's called, you know, we have a fancy psychological name for it. It's called reframing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I often ask people who are in that situation where they, they, they seem unable to help people, I ask them, um, do you like to help people? 
And almost universally, people will say yes. There's very rarely a person who says no. <laughs> who would say no to that question? Very few people. Um, and then I'll ask them, so how do you feel when you help somebody? And generally speaking, people will say they feel good, right? We, we like to help people. We feel good when we can help somebody. Um, and so then my next question to them is, so why won't you think about providing that opportunity for someone else to feel good? If you can't do it for yourself, right, do it for someone else. And sometimes mm-hmm. when you reframe it that way for people, they get the point. You know, they, like, laugh. They understand what I'm saying. Um, but they understand it somewhat differently and then really can think about, um, you know, asking for help when they need it. Um, it's totally not realistic that one person can take care of all of the needs um, of um someone diagnosed with cancer and for, for caregivers to recognize that they don't have to do it all, um, I think is, is vitally important. You know, there's that old saying, I think, that applied to raising children, that it takes a village, but I think that saying really does also apply to the art of caregiving as well. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like your reframing technique is, would also be valuable for uh, conversations with caregivers as well as people who are living with, with cancer. Oh, yeah, Uh, who often themselves have trouble asking for help. Right. 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 Yeah, that's a whole other radio show. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) So so when you think about the caregiver, is it important that they have their own support system in place, or is the support system of the patient, does that become the support system of the caregiver? What What is your recommendation in that situation? I think it really depends on the support system itself, um, but I, I, I do think that for most um, people who are in that caregiving role, where it's, you know, you're, you're doing a lot of the heavy lifting, so to speak, um, is that you are in contact with other people in a similar situation. You know, every um, it, when someone in the family is diagnosed with cancer, everyone has their own unique experience. Um, if you think about, you know, a family with maybe mom and dad and, and three kids, well, maybe one of the kids lives at a distance, and that's a completely different experience. Um, one of the kids um, helps out um, a lot. It lives at home still, and so is providing a lot of the, um, you know, um, supportive care on a regular basis. And the other child is away at college. So all of those children are going to have very different experiences um, and I think when you're talking, so, so some of them may be okay, but the ones who are really involved in providing, you know, regular ongoing um, support to um, their family member, I think it's vitally important that they find someone in a similar situation to speak to. Mm-hmm. And how do caregivers go about actually blocking off the time to do that, to make sure that it happens? It is so hard. It's the hardest thing, and we hear that over and over. Um, But it is essential um, if you're going to avoid those feelings of being overwhelmed, being exhausted, being at your wit's end, feeling paralyzed, or even resentful of being put in the role um, of the caregiver. And I like to tell people you have to learn to say yes when help is offered. Um, Learn to the... and, and. Also, learn to ask for the help you need. People aren't mind readers. Um, 
I may need, you know, if I'm a caregiver and you're a caregiver, we may need very different kinds of help. Um, I may have to work full-time at my job, and so I need somebody to help my family member get to and from the doctor. Maybe I'm retired, and that's not the problem. Um, I think um, caregivers also need to learn to accept that sometimes the help may not be done in the exact way you would do it, but just ask yourself, is it going to be done well enough? So maybe you've got someone who volunteers to clean your house, um, but you're a clean freak, um, but you can't do it all. So is this something that someone could do for you that they would do well enough? Um, Learn to say yes. And I'm assuming that there are services that are offered for caregivers to help them through this process and decision-making. Can you speak a little bit about those particular services? Uh, Yeah. Um, I I think it will vary depending on the situation, depending on where you live, depending on income. There are all kinds of variables, but there are some things that you can do. You can talk with um, your social worker, um, the nurse where your um, family member is being treated, if there's a patient navigator, um, to see what help um, might be available through insurance or if you can afford it and you want some private help that would be available for free, they will have, uh, for a fee, sorry, um, they will have um, information about that locally. Um, You can certainly call our helpline, and they will be able to help guide you through um, figuring out what kinds of help might be available. Um, Recently, there are some great online scheduling tools that I really like. Um, lots of helping hands, caring bridge, um, my lifeline. And what those are are sort of calendars and you post the kind of help you need, which then again, you know, the caregiver can feel somewhat in control. They're not asking for things they don't want. Um, and it has the added advantage of I'm not calling you, Linda, and saying, can you drive my um, mom to treatment on Wednesday, and you're in the position of saying, oh, I'm so sorry, I can't do it Wednesday. I can post all of the dates that mom needs a ride to treatment, and people can fill in as they're able. So it's kind of a win-win for everybody. Great. And I just want to pause because you mentioned our helpline. I know I mentioned it earlier as we were uh, introducing the show, but for those of you who are listening and have a pen handy, that number is 888-793-9355. We should mention that that's staffed by licensed mental health professionals like yourself, Sarah. And um, information is available on our website that would link listeners, callers to a, a, a live chat. So you can go online, and if you don't want to talk on the phone to someone, you could chat on the Internet with them. Yes? Yeah. Great. And do you have a sense of um, people that are calling into that helpline? Um, do we have caregivers that are calling into the helpline? Yes. Um, probably the latest data I looked at, it looks like about 40% of the callers to the helpline are people who identify themselves as being caregivers. Um, yeah. Or family and friends, you know, obviously someone who who is caring for someone who has been diagnosed with a cancer, with a diagnosis of cancer. Yep. So we're happy to see that people are utilizing that service, and the folks there are waiting for their calls. So uh, please feel free to uh, to use that as a resource. Absolutely. This is frankly speaking about cancer. 
Today's show is sponsored in part by Celgene, Lilly Oncology, and Onyx. We have to take another commercial break, but we will be right back with more on caregiving and cancer with Sarah Goldberger, who is the Senior Director of Programs and Services here at the Cancer Support Community. People living with breast cancer often find it difficult to ask for help, and many of the people in their lives want to help but don't know how. During National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Cancer Support Community is proud to support Meal Trains sponsored by Magnolia, which utilizes Mealtrain.com, a free shared online calendar to streamline the process of giving and receiving meals for families coping with breast cancer. Help us reach our goal of 1,000 new breast cancer-specific meal trains this October. To learn more, visit Mealtrain.com MMT and enter the code MAGNOLIAB or visit us at CancerSupportCommunity.org. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the Azi Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia. Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Linda House, the Executive Vice President for External Affairs here at the Cancer Support Community, standing in today for Kim Thibodeau, our President and CEO, and your usual host. She'll be back next week. We are talking about the challenges facing caregivers of people who are living with cancer, and in particular, ways in which they can get help, things that they might think about, and support resources for them. I am joined today by Sarah Goldberger, who is the Senior Director of Programs at the Cancer Support community. Sarah is a licensed mental health professional and has a very rich history in uh, caring for caregivers as well as patients um, who are living with cancer. So, Sarah, before the break, we talked a little earlier um, about the rates of depression with or in caregivers. And I'm wondering if you could just go into a little bit more detail around depression as a side effect of caregiving, if you will. Uh, sure, Linda. Um, you know, I think obviously um, being a caregiver for someone with cancer um, is not easy, and it can exact a heavy toll. Um, but I want to make the point that caregiving in and of itself won't cause depression, and um, neither will everyone who provides care um, in the role of caregiver, experience a lot of the um, 
negative feelings and emotions that go along with depression. But as we heard earlier, many people do. Um, I, I think in their efforts to provide the best possible love, care, and attention for a family member or friend with uh, cancer, um, caregivers so often sacrifice their own physical and emotional needs. Um, and, the, and those needs, the emotional and the physical um, um, requirements that this job takes, um, can strain even the most capable person. Um, you know, I, I think that um, um, depression um, is clearly something to watch out for. Um, if someone says, you seem depressed, um, I would take that seriously. Um, it, 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 it is a challenge. And again, we're not good at asking for help, and so people are sleep-deprived. They're not eating well. They're not keeping up with their own medical appointments very often. Um, and all of those things can lead to um, feelings of sadness and, and, and depression. So how does a caregiver determine whether it's um, anxiety, whether they're tired, whether they are depressed? What are some of the ways that they can sort of discern the differences in those? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not sure when you're in the thick of it, it's easy to tell. Um, but I would say it's probably a matter of degree and also length of time. So I, I think, you know, and, and this experience and also bereavement um, are very close to feelings of depression, right? Um, but so, so some feelings of sadness, worry, moodiness um, are probably normal and even expected when you're a caregiver. But I would be concerned about um, someone who has uh, some of the following symptoms, um, and I wouldn't say it's just one, it's sort of several, they're pretty intense, and they last for a while. You know, um, you can have a bad day, anybody can have a bad day, you and I probably have bad days, but if it lasts for a while or the feelings are very intense and you, um, you can't take pleasure in the things that usually bring, bring you pleasure. You know, if you hear that your grandchildren are coming over to visit who you adore and all you can think about is, I don't have time, um, and that happens repeatedly um, and it's, you're even annoyed about it, um, that could be what I call a pink flag. Um, certainly changes in sleep or eating habits um, in either direction. You're sleeping too much. You're sleeping too little. Um, you can't eat. You're overeating. Um, if you find yourself with repeated bouts of crying, now clearly, you know, feeling sad, crying wouldn't be unusual in the situation, but if it's repeated and it's happening when you don't want it to happen, if you're in the middle of the aisle in the grocery store and you start crying, that could be, again, a pink flag. Um, unexplained physical symptoms. Um, you know, if you've um, kind of ruled out lots of the, the physical symptoms um, and your doctors and you sort of can't explain it, it could be the stress of being a caregiver. Um, feeling agitated, um, feeling confused or unable to make decisions, you know, simple decisions um, can be signs of, um, you know, some some concern around mental wellness. 
And obviously, um, persistent thoughts of suicide. Um, if you are even a little bit concerned, um, it's really important to speak to your health care provider. Um, and I, I, I feel since I raised the issue about suicide, you know, if you're, you're feeling overwhelmed, it's a very different from feeling from I want to end my life. I can't do this for one more minute. Um, and you need to either call 911 or a suicide um, hotline. Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, what, what if, if there are family and friends that are listening to this and, and they see some of the symptoms in a caregiver, what are the best things that those caregivers can do for a caregiver who might be experiencing um, right. distress? Right. And again, I'm going to borrow language from another popular slogan lately, if you see something, say something. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's incumbent on all of us when we see our friends and family struggling or our coworkers struggling to be compassionate, to reach out, to say, gee, you know, I see that you're struggling. Is there something that I can do or I am concerned about you? Um, bring it to their attention. Um, you know, sometimes it, it, it sounds unbelievable, but it's true that people get so caught up in the caregiving experience that they really can't even look in the mirror literally or figuratively and see what's happening to themselves. And so sometimes a caring friend or family member um, can, can sort of bring it to their attention. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it might be worth, um, worth us just mentioning it may be the patient who recognizes that their caregiver is, is distressed. And... Oh, good. really good point. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and to take that seriously and to, you know, to think about ways then to kind of move into what are some of the things that you can do to help yourself. Um, do we have time for me to tell a story yes, here? please, please. Um, so I, um, one of the analogies I use when I'm talking with caregivers who say, who, who are the yes but, um, they'll agree with everything I'm saying about why it's so important for them um, to take care of themselves, but the answer to everything is yes, but, yes, but. I tell them um, to um, visualize a garden, and there are beautiful flowers growing in the garden. And in order to keep those beautiful flowers growing, um, we water them with a watering can. But the watering can eventually will run out of water and needs to be filled up from a larger reservoir. So now if we just think about the role of the caregiver and kind of translate that metaphor, those beautiful flowers are the person that you care about that has been diagnosed with cancer. And the watering can is you, the caregiver. So you can water and nurture and care for that person for a while without anything to restore or replenish what's in the watering can. But eventually... What's going to happen is that watering can is going to run out of water, and then you won't be able to continue to nurture and help that beautiful flower to thrive. Nice. That's a nice way to to, to think about that. So thank you. Yeah, people seem to relate well to that, um, and I, I think it's true. It's you know you just you can't do it all, and you can't do it all forever. And that is a perfect stopping point for this particular segment. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's show is sponsored in part by AstraZeneca, the Millennium, the Takeda Oncology Company, and Purdue Pharma. We will be right back after the break with Sarah Goldberger, who is the Senior Director of Program here at the Cancer Support Community. Thank you, Sarah, and we'll be right back. 
Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the Azi Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia. Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. My name is Linda House, and I am standing in today for Kim Tebaldo. Today's show is sponsored in part by McKesson's Giving Comfort Program, Bristol-Myers Squibb, and Morphotech. I'm joined today by Sarah Goldberger, who is the Senior Director of Programs at the Cancer Support Community, and this is the fourth in our segment, uh, a really great show talking about caregiving for people who are living with cancer. We're just wrapping that discussion up, and for this last segment, I would like to speak more about what you can do if someone you know is a caregiver. What resources are out there? How do you identify if they need help and support? How do you get that help for them? Those sort of things. So, Sarah, let's just start off by focusing on if you know someone who is a primary caregiver. I know you touched on this in a previous segment, but if you know somebody who's caring for someone with cancer, what are some of the things that you can do to help help the caregiver and the person who's living with cancer? So um, stay in touch. Um, I think what happens very often is that, you know, after a certain number of um, calls to someone who says, you know, I've got it covered, everything's fine, we're doing well, it's easy to sort of back off from that. Um, You can be reading the signals they don't want you to be in touch. Um, I say be a pest. Be a pest until they tell you to stop being a pest. So stay in touch. Um, Being a caregiver can be extremely isolating. Um, Time is limited, so maybe they don't have the time to reach out the way they used to. So be in contact. 
um, remind people um, that you are there to help and that they don't have to do it alone. Um, I think it's also important to make specific offers to help. Um, Think about what are you good at that you could do or what kind of needs to be done in the time frame that you have. Is it, you know, it could be as simple as offering to take the dog for a walk or a run at the dog park um, to cooking meals, um, transportation, um, you know, something to relieve the, um, the caregiver from the caregiving process, but it also could be, let me take you out for coffee. Um, let's go get our nails done. Let's go, you know, I know you used to be in the bowling league, but I understand that can't happen anymore, but let's go bowl a frame or two. I think that's the right language. Um, so I think those just, I think um, also, and I may say this again later because I think it's important, um, talk less, listen more. If you've got someone who is able, a caregiver who's able to kind of begin to unpack their feelings and talk about how they're doing, um, just let them talk. Just let them talk. And even if they're not talking, silence is okay. Yeah, being able, being comfortable sitting with silence is a great life skill to learn, and um, it's particularly important. You know, just um, it really does say to a person, you're really not being silent. You're talking what I like to call heart-to-heart, and your heart is saying, I'm here and I care. So what advice would you give someone who is acting as a caregiver from a distance, and what are some of the challenges that are associated with long-distance caregiving? Oh, great question, Linda. It's it's a complicated dance. Um, if you ask people who are uh, caring remotely, um, and oftentimes these are adult children or grandchildren or friends who've moved away, they will tell you they would much rather be present physically. Um, and if you ask caregivers and they're being honest, they, are, they will say there are times when they would much rather be further away. Um, so recognizing that while if you're um, a primary caregiver in the home, it may look easier to be thousands of miles away, but it's not. They, they, they feel even more helpless. Um, you know, we talked about the feelings of helplessness, but because they're not there, they feel even more helpless and more out of touch and more out of control. Um, it, it's really tough to be to do caregiving from a distance. The other um, challenges is that sometimes they, they when they come to visit, they sort of swoop in and will um, um, kind of. Uh, try to take over and, and see all the things that aren't going well, and they too need to recognize that they're not there every day. And you know that question about is, is it being done well enough um, to be able to think about, okay, it's not the way I would do it, but is it being done well enough? Um, mm-hmm. I think sometimes with families and friends, it's also a great idea if there are things that could be done remotely. So, um, for example. Uh, you know, in handling insurance forms. And I remember a, a family where there were adult children involved, and one of the adult children was a, a CPA. Um, and he had his, he would acknowledge this. 
Um, he had all the characteristics people think about with CPAs. You know, he didn't talk about feelings, didn't talk much at all, was much comfortable with, more comfortable on the computer with Excel spreadsheets and stuff. Um, but he and his family um, figured out that one way that he could be enormously helpful was with um, handling insurance um, forms and, and, and dealing with the insurance companies and that kind of stuff. So it gave him a role, which was very important, um, that he could do from a distance that sort of alleviated some of the burden from the, the mom who was the primary caregiver, um, and it worked out very well. And this was a family that was able to find roles for people who weren't on site so they could feel connected and involved and helpful and um, ease some of the burden for the primary caregiver. Mm-hmm. And are there resources that would help families who are caregiving from a distance? So we have a wonderful book, um, uh, frankly, from our Frankly Speaking series, Frankly Speaking About Cancer, 10 K- Tips for Caring from a Distance. And I would encourage people to, who have access to a computer to go online and download that. I think it can also be ordered, um, the, the print copy from our website. Um, and that's a wonderful book that gives some of these very same kinds of, of tips. And so just to repeat the title, it's from our Frankly Speaking About Cancer series, and it's entitled Caregiving from a Distance? I believe. Yep. Yep. Great. Thank you. And I, and I suspect our helpline counselors can direct. They certainly can. And um, also in the Frankly Spirit, uh, Speaking series is a 10 Tips for Caregivers book. Um, that just, you know, it's sort of... Um, when you read it, you might say, duh, but, um, you know, seeing it in print sometimes is really powerful for people. It, it's not, um, um, you know, we all know it, but seeing it in print and having it in front of us and being able to show it to someone else um, can be really helpful. Mm-hmm. And we talked a little bit about um, about ways in which you can support a caregiver. And what, what we didn't explicitly talk about is that, is that sometimes people really don't know what to say to introduce mm-hmm. the concept of they're there, they're here to support, they're here to listen. Yeah. Uh, how would you recommend that people sort of even begin, the, begin the, the, that conversation? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's a funny question. Well, not funny, but... Um, in my experience, and I've been listening to caregivers for over 20 years now, um, and what I hear from them is that the question asked one day may seem fine, and on any other, day, you know, the next day or an hour later may be totally annoying. Um, and so we never know. Um, for for caregivers, um, there may be days that they want to just talk about the latest episode of Downton Abbey. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the next day they want to pour their hearts out about how they're feeling and how they're coping. Um, I would say, um, again, stay connected. Don't give up. Try not to take negative reactions from caregivers personally. Um, Remind them always that you care about them and sometimes may not know the right thing to say or do. Um, I, I think that's important. Um, I think intent is important. As long as you're trying to give them the message, I care, I'm here, um, sometimes that's the best you can do. Um, it may not be received in the way that you expect, but that's because, you know, from day to day, moment to moment, when folks are under a lot of stress, 
sometimes they're going to respond in ways that um, they wouldn't if you ask the question the next day. Um, follow their lead. Um, assume nothing. Um, I'm sure you're having a hard time. Well, no, you know, don't assume anything. Um, let them talk about it. Like I said, you know, one day they may be talked out and just want to t- be distracted um, and talk about, you know, who wore what to church the other day. Um, and some days they may feel like they just want to talk. And again, to your point about being comfortable with silence, sometimes just sitting is fine. Um, if you ask them with concern, how are you? And they say they're fine, let it, let it be. Um, but maybe remind them that down the road or this afternoon, if they want to talk, you're there to listen. Um, and again, this is that talk less, listen more. Thank you. That's that's great advice, and thank you so much, Sarah, for being on the show today and to help us understand the fears and the concerns of, of caregivers and particularly ways in which we can um, engage those individuals and hopefully be a caregiver to the caregiver in some, in some way. At the cancer support community, we know that cancer impacts everyone involved and that it's important to to take care of our mental and emotional well-being as we also take care of our physical health. We hope that all of our caregivers out there are inspired by today's show and that they've learned ways in which uh, you could reach out to, to help. And in particular, make sure that you know that you're not in this journey alone. If you're a caregiver looking for more support, please visit www.cancersupportcommunity.org or please be one of the 40% of the callers that are taking advantage of the helpline. We are here for you, and that number is 888-793-9355. Thank you all for joining us today for Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Linda House, the Executive Vice President of External Affairs, standing in for Kim Tebaldo, who will be joining you next week. If you have a topic you'd like for us to talk about in an upcoming episode, please email us your suggestions at news, N-E-W-S, news, at cancersupportcommunity.org. We would love to hear the ideas from you and understand better what you would like to hear from us and be able to provide that for you. The Cancer Support Community provides a multitude of in-person, online, and telephonic support. If you or someone you know is faced with a cancer diagnosis, you do not have to do it alone. For more information about our programs, please visit us, as I mentioned, at cancersupportcommunity.org. You can find a location there, find a location near you on the website, or you can call our toll-free helpline, again, at 888-793-9355 and speak with one of our licensed mental health professionals. That helpline is available Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. until 8 p.m. Until next time, be well, do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.